so uh, good morning everyone well, how are we doing on the audio visual level <laughs> take a while to get our technology okay Paul could you give me a thumbs up if you can hear me okay okay good good <laughs> that's one anyway two great uh, so I think some more people are just coming and going. <laughs> uh, so it's just going to take a few moments settling in, you know, wherever we've been. And uh, some of you may have been waiting already or queuing up already. As you know, when a group meets, some people get early, some people get a little bit late. Some people, so on and so on and so on. So generally, this is Sangha experience, I find, you know, when I'm going with a Sangha, because I'm one of the ones who always gets there early. So I'm always waiting for everybody else to turn up. And, uh, <laughs> and working with the feelings of exasperation, why can't people be on time, and so on and so on and so on, until one day you, you make a mistake and you forget the time. And then you turn up later. <laughs> and you realise it's impossible for everybody to turn up at exactly the same time, isn't it? You can't all be there at exactly the same time. <laughs> somebody's going to be early, somebody's going to be late, somebody's going to feel guilty about getting late, somebody's going to rush in, scramble, somebody's going to be hanging around for ages. Okay, this is life. <laughs> so, 3pm in Thailand. Okay, Terry. <laughs> So yeah, okay, it's 3 p.m. in Thailand, so <laughs> let's get going <clears throat> and hope the evening has passed, uh, or whatever it was, period since yesterday has passed uh, agreeably or reflectively. And sometimes I find that um, just the period of meditation is, is strangely, well, perhaps not strangely, quite a lot of work happens even though you're sitting there just meeting impressions and trying to get you, get around them and process them and release them or you know trying to do nothing trying to do something trying to find the right balance it's quite a a fine handling <clears throat> and I generally use metaphors like handling the mind rather than observing it because to me observing it for me personally is not uh, it's not enough yeah, to really get what's going on. I mean, observing things, you can certainly watch them rising and passing, but get to the qualities of what is occurring. You know, the, the felt tones particularly, which carries so much of the, of the uh, meaning and the impetus. You have to feel it, right? So say some sort of thought comes up, I can watch that come and go. But yet, sooner or later, there has to be a recognition of what thoughts do I act upon, what do I ignore, what do I moderate, what do I deliberately check. Yeah? Not every thought, they all come and go, that's true, but they carry different moral or ethical or hedonic, pleasurable and, and personal significances. Yeah? So some some thoughts are just trivial, da, 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 da. some thoughts are deeply felt, meant. So to actually get into 
what is actually the, the feeling that goes along with this thought, the, the felt tone, that is the quality of pleasure and displeasure, also the meaning of it, that's the depth of sincerity, the depth of how much it means to you, how much it's coming from the heart. And you can see there are certain, right? So perception, feeling, feeling, pleasure, displeasure, that's a pretty, lots of things can be pleasurable and unpleasurable, superficially pleasurable, some depth in it, very deep, some really, really deep, you know, levels of um, where one is felt, one feels things at a very deep level, almost beyond words. Yeah. And so this is to do with perception. So as I say, some things are some ideas, some memories, some interactions are just, okay, you know, you meet somebody, say something, you're in a restaurant, have a meal, say something to the waiter, he's not particularly pleasant, so what? You know, not agreeable, but doesn't mean very much. Yeah. Something the same, externally looks the same, it's happening with between you and somebody you've made a deep commitment to, right? The feeling, disagreeable feeling, goes a lot deeper because it's more of you and more of your commitment and more of your involvement in it, right? So you have a slight tiff with a waiter in a restaurant or you have a disagreement over somebody's booking an airline ticket, there, shrug it off. And it's your partner or your, your son or your daughter or whatever, you know, that really, yeah, there's is a lot of stuff gets churned up there. And that's so in contemplating thoughts, ideas, impressions, it's not just the quality of feeling, but the, the level at which it's coming from. There's a purely, we might say, a very superficial level, and not being, not being pejorative, I hope, which is just that everything that touches you, <laughs> there's some kind of feeling to it. It may be not great, strong, something is felt. Like your skin. Some parts of the skin are extremely sensitive, some not much, you know. But it would be tragic if, if, if your skin was completely numb, wouldn't it? Now you touch the knuckle, it, that's not, I would say that's not, not particularly agreeable, I don't want that to continue. You touch the palm, it's much more acute, right? Now, the heart is similar. Yeah. Heart is very like, the nearest thing to the chitta is a body. The chitta is not a compound of abstract principles and thoughts. The closest analogy to a chitta is like a, bo a body, because that's in a way what it has learned its most fundamental programs and affinities from being in a body. Some parts of a body, are, you can knock them, doesn't mean very much. Some of them, like your eyeball, you touch it lightly, whee, right? Same thing with chitta. Some parts, and what makes it sensitive? It's naturally sensitive. Two things make it sensitive. One is the meaning, 
so you mean a lot to me therefore your disapproval you know really affects me strongly you're just somebody i met in the street you say something unpleasant to me i just uh, idiot you know doesn't mean much right uh something i've treasured gets broken or lost i feel rather upset other stuff is just throw it away it's finished useless so what things mean to me so meaning what things mean to me in fact the me sense is established after perception in other words it's not that I exist and get affected by certain things that move me. It's just that the things that have moved the chitta form myself. The qualities that have moved the chitta form myself. The, these effects, the, the qualities that have deeply disturbed my chitta have formed me in my defense mode or my grief mode, my blame mode. The qualities that have affected the jitta deeply in terms of pleasure form other kinds of mode. The qualities that affect the jitta in terms of trust or uh, kindness and so forth, that forms, that forms me. And naturally everyone has their areas in which they're really quite defended, places they're quite open and comfortable, places they get quite excited by. The forming of the self based upon perceptions. Yeah. How do those perceptions get established? Yeah. Through uh, so the jitters searching for approval, bonding, association with the pleasurable at a very primary level so this is what human beings associate particularly with other people because we are we're mammals we're born in other people's bodies we're weaned and nurtured for many years we are really formed by other people now i mean because there are many other people in our lives we never exactly a facsimile of our parents but we may not even like them very much but we may be informed by our dislike or our mistrust or our enthusiasm or our fondness. All those have created formative influences. Parents, also siblings, school partners, colleagues, uh, relationships, all form an evolving self, an evolving personal package that evolves over time, develops over time. The personal self. And yeah, so as those meanings touch the jitta, then what occurs from perception is called sankara. There are certain responses that come from that. Uh, so aggression, maybe the response maybe to run away or to fight back. These responses are not necessarily calculated. They're almost instinctive reflexes. We feel the hurt, we sink. We feel the hurt, we rise up. Yeah. So, and these are these trigger points. And 
those can get quite complex because, of course, when we say we, we withdraw, we run away, well, that's true in a way, but of course, you know, that doesn't mean you physically run away, but your chitta runs away, your chitta withdraws, and you go, okay, then that's fine with me. Well, I'll get up, yeah, okay, yeah, never mind. <laughs> that's a withdrawn chitta, right? You know, you're physically still standing there, you're still communicating, actually your heart has sunk back. And extremely, this happens when in fact the jitta feels powerless to do anything else. Uh, so in these very dense human situations of many people, uh, you know, school, partnerships, colleagues, work, parents, that are obligations, duties, pe people you pass in the street, even people you see on a screen, <laughs> people you read about in the newspaper, still the meaning comes through. You know, it's somebody who lives a thousand miles away, the meaning still comes through of, of abuse or violence or fantastic looking person or so wonderfully praised and wonderful. They still, they still touch you. They still touch the heart. This is what it's like. You know? And so we feel very much saturated and so along with that comes the wish to well you know like I want to be myself I, yeah. so you get all sorts of all, autonomy programs leave me alone I want to be myself don't look at me I don't want to be an object in your mind this that and the other goes on but that is still acting in relationship to the presence or the absence of what other people mean to us. Okay? So you represent, say, you know, an authority figure to me. Now, whether you know that or not, I don't know. But you represent authority to me, and I don't, I don't want that. Now, you may not be in on what you represent to me at all. You remind me of my mother, and I want you to nurture me. Now, you may not know anything about that. <laughs> Right? You, you, I want a mother figure to nurture me. I don't even consciously recognize this, but something we touches those kind of qualities of, oh, to be looked after, to be smiled at, to have my weaknesses cared for rather than laughed at. <laughs> uh, you know, you're my mother, so you may not even re realize it in your head, but something happens on that level. Now, you don't know anything about that, necessarily, because you've got your own script. So I'm looking, something in me is looking for this mother thing, and then I'm finding out she's not, she's rejecting me. Because <laughs> she's not living up to my mother impression, which you didn't know you were supposed to live up to. <laughs> so then you think, well, I've had enough of her. She's rejecting me, so what can I do? I'll reject her in return. And suddenly the person finds herself being cold-shouldered. What, what did I do wrong? You didn't live up to an impression that you didn't know you were having on me. So now I'm going to do this to you. And this is the kind of thing that happens. Yeah. Of course, the other person's probably doing their thing as well. So we're not living up to, or trying to live up to, meanings that, that 
that are not shared. Therefore, you know, you see what I mean? I want you to be this for me, but you don't know that. Now you're not living up to what I want you to be, even though you didn't know what I want you to be. <laughs> Meanwhile, you want me to be something. I don't know what you want me to be, but now I'm not living up to that. So now we're disappointing each other. How <laughs> does this happen, you know? <laughs> Meanings, perceptions, and these activations of interpretation and then the re responses to those. Now it could be that you do something and you does live up to my impressions of my mother or my ideal uh, partner or erotic companion or something, whatever you call it, friend or whatever you want to call it. So great, you know, seemingly, until at one time or another you don't, then you've let me down. So how much can we expect other people to be in our movies? How much do we even realise we're running a movie? Until you get these jolts where, hey, this is not according to the script. And these jolts are pretty painful. Yeah. Uh, and we do, so, and then this, this, but the pain of that we can then blame the other, blame ourselves, and as we probably could recognise in ordinary terms, uh, some of the most violent and deeply unpleasant wounding occurs between uh, marital partners, who obviously, you know, had a strong bond at one time and then mutually failed to live up to the other person's needs or requirements or whatever, and then the aversion and the bitterness that can occur in that is extremely poignant because so much of this unresolved energy was bond was being mollified by that projection so my need for a mother is you're mollifying that for me at the moment because i'm seeing that in you now you're not doing it i feel betrayed and that need in me has not been fulfilled and i've been let down yeah. And therefore I feel, ah, ah, women, you can't trust them. This kind of thing can go on. <laughs> you can, then you can kind of broad brush the entire gender. <laughs> you know, <laughs> your failed projection. Because, you, right? And just realize how many of us can actually be the ideal anything the ideal partner friend daughter mother father how many of us can do it do we even know what it is these fantasy projections that we might have so the sankara is all the activations that occur when these meanings get triggered all the kind of play and ricochet and repartee and courtship and arguing and disappointment and frustration and sometimes deep rage that can occur in all these. 
And yet, the Tathagata dwells with awareness, un unrestricted awareness. <laughs> unrestricted by what? In ten ways. Freed, disconnected, not bonded. Liberated from form, feeling, perception. Perception, meaning, okay? Perception isn't necessarily a word that immediately goes to the heart. Meaning. Mental activations, mental formulations, psychological strategies, emotional um, engagements, emotional responses. He lives unbonded to those, freed from them. Consciousness, mind consciousness with its inner dialogue, its interpretations, it's what should I do, what does he mean, how am I, how are they, uh, I'm going to be this, I'm, they really want me to do that, and they'll never do that, all this kind of stuff that goes on in mind consciousness, as mind consciousness tries to measure and verbalise what cannot be measured and verbalised. The emotional realm cannot be measured and verbalised. You can maybe sing it, <laughs> you can perhaps dance it you can't you know you can represent something that gives rise to that but you can't actually put a measure on you know it's it's, it's beyond it's, it's not in that it's not in that, that um, it's not in that category it's measured in terms of intensity of feeling maybe but the mental act the mano vinyana deals with things like right wrong Good, bad, should be, could be, will be, won't be. In the future, it's going to turn out like that. This means he's going to be like that. This means she wants that. It creates a lot of dots that link up the present meaning, the present felt sense, interprets it. This means that this is what's going to happen in the future. This means it was because of that that happened in the past. This means that everybody thinks this. This means that I am this, okay? That's what the that's the sankharas that arise from the manovinyana. So he touches us. Feeling arises into meaning. This is striking me very deeply. Interpretation. That means she da 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 da. That means that everybody thinks I'm this. This means that I am not this. This means I can never be that. This means it's my fault. Woo, woo. No, it just means you've been moved. That's what it means. You've been moved. Okay? Take your time. Don't inter don't line up dots. Oh, this means that with your thinking mind. It's and surely the experience of meditation is a great learning test for that because you try to meditate figuring out how you're going to do it planning how you're going to do it anticipating what to do at this stage it's going to be a headache you try and meditate figuring out what stage you're at where you're going to get to this that and the other it's going to be a pain you try and meditate thinking how long is it going to take am i this am i that should i be am I going to be reborn as a pig am i chronically flawed it's going to be a disaster. You've got to stop interpreting and just get the feel for where the stress builds up, where it releases, what triggers stress, and what releases it. 
It's extraordinarily simple. And yet, to get that acuity of this is where the stress is just beginning. You catch it here, you won't go into a major crash. So that acuity is what I call handling. This is why I call it handling the mind rather than observing it. Just to get, because you're, you're like your fingertips are that sensitive. So you, just like the chitta is like the body and you can poke or you could touch it. If you touch it with the sensitive part of the chitta, a wise part of the chitta, you get a, you get a felt sense and a meaning for Wait a minute, this is kind of buzzing and whirring. What's happening here? Wait a minute, this is lurching. This is jumping. What's happening here? This is settling and easing and soothing. Oh, what's happening there? This is cooling and releasing. Oh, this is going the other way. This is heating up and escalating. Yeah, <laughs> right. This is suddenly sounding like a voice of when I was 15 years old. What's happening here? <laughs> This is reminding me of what my, you know, father did 19 years ago. What's happening here? Uh-huh. And rather than interpret it, just something is happening here. This is where stress is going to start grabbing hold. And if we're, why we meditate or skill in meditation is to get those senses before they escalate. Because if they escalate, you get major, chitta gets major thrown into rage, craving, greed, lust, fear, worry, depression. You've got a lot of rowing back to do to get back to steady state. And you often find yourself acting in stupid ways. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Not you, we. <laughs> Because we're meeting the stupid part of our chitta. The chitta's not awakened. If you touch things with the unawakened chitta, you only get unawakened responses. Simple, isn't it, really? And the unawakened chitta always reacts and does immediate interpretations. It sounds intelligent, but you witness the reaction and the projection. No. If it's that clear... If it's that clear and instantaneous, it can't be right. If it jumps that fast, it can't be right. If it gets that clear an idea of her or him, that's a projection. Because actually, in reality, qualities are ephemeral, shifting, mesmeric, miasmic. You know, qualities well up, subside, Every positive got a little touch of negative in it. It's greys and tones that are shifting and moving. And it's changing all the time. So if you get black and white cutouts, you realise, no, this is not it. This is an, this is an interpretation. But it feels so good, so convincing, so right on. Yeah, that's how we suffer. That's how we suffer. We don't want to suffer. Nobody wants to suffer. How does it happen? Because we get hoodwinked time and time again by the qualities of the jitter going, oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, bright. I've got it all, I've got it all sorted out. Oh yeah, that's it. I know what she's about. I got my, I, I can know exactly what he's doing. 
Yeesh. I know what I am. Yeah. Attractive, isn't it? Yeah. Buddha's not bonded to this play. He's not bonded to rest restrictions. Because all these plays end up restricting your capacity for magnanimity, for release, for dispassion, for coolness, for equilibrity, for poise. They always throw you into a play of some kind or another. Throw you into a drama of some kind or another. Then you're enrolled in some drama that you then recycle and remember for years and years and years. And do you want to keep doing this? Recycling the same old wounds, jumping on the same old merry-go-round again and again till you get giddy and fall off it. Okay. So we have to contemplate these because it's not like we come out, jitter comes out confused, unawakened. And uh, the humbling of our personality experiences, we have to acknowledge places we're definitely very compulsive. Uh, all kinds of patterns and programs start running out that are really rather ignoble. <laughs> Improper, nasty, <laughs> confused. Infantile. <laughs> okay, what's the meaning of that one then? <laughs> and then you go back from the sankara, which is always the defense or the justification for why I feel like this. Okay, what's that? You know, even if it's apparently true, what good is it going to do you? Yeah. You're living in a law court for the rest of your life, finding out who's right and who's wrong and what they did 10 years ago and it shouldn't have been this way. Great, if you want to live your life in a law court, but you're never going to get out. Or do you want to get out? Okay. What's the fee? What's the meaning? Yeah. Excited. Wonderful. Blessed. Uplifted. Uh, disappointed, left out, isolated, rejected. Anybody know what those mean? <laughs> it's feels so personal. It's universal. And so, when we, of course, when we don't see anything more than that. The last set of isolations means you search for the next set of bonding and so on and so on and so on. But we could go to the, the meaning of rejected or excited, fascinated. Uh, uh, how does that feel? Pleasure, yeah, displeasure, yeah, 
And how does that feeling move? Vibrates, rocks, surges, sinks. Uh-huh. Anything more? Yeah, it keeps coming back. What sends it back? I want more of it. I want it to keep going. Or I don't want it to happen. That's what sends it back. So we get an excitement, a happy moment, and then, oh great, let's keep going with that one. That keeps it, that sends it back, it bounces back, and we keep going. Disappointment. What sends it back? Oh no, I want to get out of this. I feel fed up myself. Oh, yeah. Shouldn't be this way after all I've done. After you da, 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 not deserve it, wrong, it's everybody's fault. My fault, her fault, his fault, their fault, it shouldn't feel this way. That's what sends it back. It bounces up against the edge of our personality shell and bounces back. It bounces against the edge of where we feel we're taking it all personally and it bounces back. And so it forms, these qualities form our self, our personal self. Our personal self then becomes a distinct psychological and emotional form and the feelings that occur within it hit that and don't and bounce back inside it. So we we kind of get full, full of these unpleasant meanings and feelings. Or we get filled up with these joyful, happy pleasures and, and feelings. They sit inside our personality shell. And the pleasant ones feel really wretched, stuck in there. You just wish you could get this thing off my mind. The unpleasant ones, you just, whoa. No, I think the first time I fell in love was just this amazing experience. I never experienced anything like that. I always had a kind of love, love, and some not love my parents and brother and so forth. But this is a different because it's kind of more like an erotic experience, say with the person of the other sex. So I'm heterosexual, so that was that way. And I just couldn't realize how happy, how full I could feel, how empowered, how wonderful all these energies were. Uh, <laughs> until, <laughs> and I couldn't, after a while I just couldn't, how could I feel so bad <laughs> when it went upside down, you know? And the, in the between, the kind of disappointments and the conflicts. Oh, what's happening? We're just two people. We're just two reasonable people. You know, she's not a bad person. And yet, this kind of suffusive quality that was filling my chitta, yeah, was. I was expecting her to keep stoking it up. <laughs> she's got her life to live with her issues and whatever, and she's probably expecting me to fill her up. And and there comes a point when you feel she's you know she's letting me down. She's not doing it. And then the tide of feeling turns the other way, let down, disappearing. It's going cold, the magic's gone, we're just drudging through our lives, 
Now she's arguing about this. Now we're feeling petty about this. Now we're fighting over this bits and pieces. <laughs> Heartbreak. So, so broken down. So a few of those. What are you supposed to do about this? You know. Uh, so you know, contemplating movement of feeling. Enjoyable feelings like this. Do I have to hold it? Can it pass through? Can I not want any more of it? Not disliking it, but just know that's um, satisfied enough. I don't. That's enough. I don't mind if it doesn't come back. Is that possible? Unpleasant feeling has to be room in one's life for unpleasant feeling because it happens. Whether you want it or not is 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 not the point. Nobody wants it, but you're going to get it. There's no defence against unpleasant feeling, is there? So if you can't defend yourself from it, what are you going to do about it? So the meditation strategy is just open to it. You know, an unawakened mind thinks, that's crazy, it's going to rip me apart. The awakened mind says, no, it'll probably knock a few holes in your personality shell, that's all. And as it does so, heart jitter wakes up. Sense of openness and uh, selflessness. Feelings allowed to pass, and the meaning, the felt meaning, is released. You're not my mother. I don't expect you to be my mother. I don't want another mother. I had one. That one's gone. I'm not looking for it anymore. I'm not looking for my ideal Eve figure. <laughs> that one's gone. I'm not looking for my Mr. Wonderful, that one's gone. I don't believe in these images, in these notions. I'm not looking after the one who's going to be there forever and look after every need. That one's finished. Whew. Weight off the mind and creating less of a burden on other people. And of course, So this doesn't mean you don't feel, have any, don't get a feeling. You don't get the sense of agreeable or disagreeable. Maybe you even get those senses. Oh, this is friendship. This is beautiful. This is what it means, friendship. And then, and now also that dissolves into an overall quality of metta. 
this is a salient point because um, Jataga is also freed from birth, aging, death. Released, unrestricted by birth, aging, death. Unrestricted by Dukkha. Dukkha can be interpreted as the fact that everything comes to an end. Things are not completed. There's no fulfilment on this sensory plane. He's not bonded, he's not restricted by that, he's not nervous about that. So one of the classic stories is when the Buddha's um, two chief disciples pass away, Sariputra and Moggallana. Uh, so these are beings who he's apparently been associated with over many, many lifetimes. And he says, these were deeply, I was, you know, these were meant a lot to me. These are my chief companions. Uh, I, you know, and they meant not just a lot to me, but it meant a lot to the entire community and to everything I've been working for. Now they've passed away. They've died. And now I look into this assembly, it looks empty. These were two massive trees that have been cut down. The assembly of bhikkhus looks empty to me. So he definitely got it. Saying it is marvellous. It is amazing how still my mind remains equanimous. Not, there is no change in the, in the Tathagata's realisation. There's no sense of lamentation. There's no sense of bereavement. Yeah. There's not that inner churning going on that most of us will experience. In this way, the Tathagata is liberated from death. Now, we often interpret that as liberated from his own death. But I think, you know, more poignantly, perhaps, is we have to see the death of so many other people. We have to see the death and know the death and know the passing of so many other people who have been dear to us. We have to see them degenerate, be incapable, lose their faculties, pass away. We all have to see that or know it or be made aware of it. And that's where the grief and not just the few tears but sometimes almost feeling disemboweled by it, like you're ripped out. How does the Tathagata not be moved in such a way? Because there's no bouncing back. There's no personality shell that's containing that perception. Perception of passing is known, understood. Perception of death and loss is clearly pointed to. The perception of separation from the love is clearly is pointing directly to it. That perception arises, it's known, it's felt, it's sensed, it moves through, it shifts, it passes. You feel, but you don't, are not moved by that. This is why the Tathagata dwells unrestricted in the presence of feeling. People can assume it means he doesn't feel anything at all. That doesn't sound very either attractive, possible or realistic. 
but he's not bonded to it. Not does not experience suffering because of it. Feeling is known as feeling. Perception is known as perception. That activations of personhood of she is this, I am that, she is gone, he is gone, he is here, he is there, have passed. Instead there's a sense of deep appreciation, of gratitude, of respect, of goodwill, of equanimity that suffuses the human world. Therefore, the Tathagata dwells with a mind of sympathy and compassion for the welfare of beings. It's not that he doesn't care. He dwells with a mind of sympathy and compassion and loving kindness for beings. And he manifested that through every day of his waking life to his last dying breath. It wasn't he didn't care. But he's not bowed down by that. So this is some ways in which trying to explain the kind of general, uh, you know, in manageable terms, perhaps in personal terms, you know, there's some of the, um, what, is being, what is being talked about here, this is my interpretation of it, my way of seeing it. And just to say that as a meditator, certainly in, in you know in monastic life where you're living apparently like brahmacharya life, you still have to get fond, you get attached, you get some degrees of attachment, fondness, and what one realizes in Sangha life is everybody leaves. <laughs> you know, generally wait till they die, they disrobe, they go elsewhere. People you've seen come in, you look after them, you get, you know, da da da. And things happen, and maybe they dislike you, or feel you're being authoritarian, or something or the other, and then it goes bad, and then cheer up, and then they get better, and then they go somewhere else, or disrobe, and every one of them you go <laughs> straight through, and maybe 30, 40 times. You can't say go through the kind of depth processes and living together and sharing and uh, struggling together without some sense of mutual connectedness that then the person then disappears. Okay. Uh, but that's what does. It's, it's the breaks. You know, what you can't do through the softer processes, you do, you work through the breaks of it all. Yeah, the way it just breaks into you. Okay, this is bound to happen. Intellectually, it's easy to understand, emotionally, it's difficult. So you just hover over that sense of disappointment, loss, and equanimity gradually comes in, the compassion. The goodwill, the appreciation, gradually the chitta comes out of that personal form into something measureless, something less personal, more universal. This is how it happens. 
So let's take a, a few minutes break, uh, um, wriggle around a little bit, and then we'll come into some direct practice.